Well, this morning we're going to continue on in looking at the scriptures that we've been looking at. We've been in a study for those of you who are new or, or who've just uh, come back after vacation or have been gone for a couple of weeks. We've been working through the uh, book of Corinthians, the first uh, book of Corinthians, and we're now in uh, chapter 4. And we'll be looking at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 14 through 21. But before we do that, and before we get started in that, I've got just a couple things I would uh, like to say uh, in setting it up. The first thing is that this morning's message is a message that's focused primarily on followers of Jesus Christ. This morning's message is a message that deals in particular with people who call themselves Christians, or like we say here at uh, Wind River Community Church, followers of Jesus Christ. Um, the reason we differentiate between Christians and followers of Jesus Christ slightly is because in a nation that's a Christian nation or post-Christian nation, uh, if a person goes to church and they've gone to church three times in their life, they think that they're a Christian. Um, they may call themselves a Christian, uh, but they may not be a true follower of Jesus Christ. And so uh, we like to use the term follower of Christ. The follower of Christ is is one who understands that Jesus Christ died on the cross for their sins and that it's only through Christ that, that uh, we receive salvation. Um, and, and Paul has been talking in the first couple chapters about uh, the church in Corinth and how, uh, how they begin to rely on worldly wisdom and they think that the, the words of the cross is foolishness. And so uh, uh, the message today is addressed specifically uh, to followers of Jesus Christ. The second thing is, um, April and I, throughout our lives, have been in ministry for almost 30 years now, and the first part of our ministry uh, primarily dealt with young people. We did a lot of youth ministries, and when you're in youth ministry, you have the opportunity and the chance to be involved in parents' lives and to see how parents parent and how they uh, express their love to children. And I've made uh, basically two observations, I think, that, that would, you might find true today. Um, at least they seem to be true to me, is that when, <clears throat> when parents um, parent, they have almost two different styles of parenting and, and uh, saying how they love them. One style of parenting is a, a style of parenting where uh, the parents love their kids so much. They, they just adore their kids and love their kids so much and they want their kids to like them. They desperately want their kids to like them. They want their kids to be their best friend because of their love, and their love is so intense for their children. And that's one style of parenting. And so in that style of parenting, uh, the parents are kind of apprehensive in saying something that might hurt the child's personality or might uh, become something painful to them. I'm not talking about mean and ugly kind of things. I'm just talking about, no, you may not do that. Because if you say something like that, uh, your kids aren't going to like you. And you want them to know that, that you love them intensely. And if, if they know that you love them intensely, then they're going to like you in return. And so that's one form of parenting. And uh, we, we saw that all throughout our ministry. And there's a second uh, type of parenting, and they love their kids equally. They, they love their kids deeply, 
And this is a kind of love that, that some of us have termed tough love. It's the love that says, I don't care if you like me. I don't really even care if you hate me at times. I love you so much that I'm not willing to let you do such and such or hang out with so and so because I know what's going to happen if you go down that road. And so that's a different kind of love that we, we see in parenting. And, and as we look at, at the letter today uh, from the Apostle Paul, um, what we've seen in the first three and a half chapters is this kind of love. He is calling out the church in Corinth and saying, you know what, guys? I love you so much that I'm going to bring some things to your attention that are not right. Things that are going on that are bringing destruction to the church, they're, they're bringing disunity, there's arrogance in the church, there's boastfulness. In fact, he almost says, uh, you guys are a bunch of babies wanting your way. And, and then... He's been pretty strong, and, and probably some of us who have who've been listening to the messages that Ken's preached and a message or two that I've preached, you might have felt a little bit of a sting and like, oh, man, is he reading my mail? Is he talking to me? Uh, what, what's going on? What's going on here? And, and all we're doing is we're preaching out of the Word of God and we're delivering what God's giving us as we go through, through this book. And Paul now, in these next... Uh, verses 14 through 21, is kind of taking a break. He's hit them pretty straight on and straightforward, and now he's going to take a break. <clears throat> and this is, so this morning we see there's a little break that's going on here because Paul is setting up the reason for why he's getting ready to do what he's going to do in chapter 5. Now, if you think, and you've been cringing a little bit from the first three and a half chapters... Wait till next week when Pastor Ken gets back. You want to be here because you don't want to miss what he's got to say. Because I've read ahead in chapter 5 and I've read in chapter 6 and it just gets more intense. And you may think that he's reading your email or going to the post office and picking up your mail and reading that too. Uh, but I can guarantee you he hasn't. Let's look at, let's look at our, our passage this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 verses 14 through 21. This is what the Apostle Paul writes. He says, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Jesus Christ through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. That's why I sent Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. Some are arrogant as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you soon if the Lord wills, and I'll find out not the talk of those arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. Do you, what do you wish? Should I come to you with a rod or with love in the spirit of gentleness? So when we look at verse 14 here, 
we see a couple things that jump out. He says, I do not write these things to make you ashamed. Paul's intent in writing the first uh, three and a half pass, uh, the three and a half uh, chapters is, was not in, an intent to shame them. It was an intent to bring to their attention what's going to happen. And like I said, there's this break here. And he knows what he's getting ready to write next because he knows exactly what's going on in the church of Corinth. And he's going to get even more pointed in showing, out what, showing what's going on. And so he wants them to know right up front that it's not his intent to shame them. He's not trying to bring disgrace to them. He's just calling their attention to what's going on. And then it says, it says, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. God used, uh, Paul uses that word admonishment, which means to, to make aware of error or make aware of a wrong, wrong direction or going down the wrong uh, road. Paul calls these uh, people in Corinth his beloved children. And he's wanting them to know that he truly, truly loves them. And, and he does not want them to go down a wrong path. Now, many of you all know um, that April and I spent quite a number of years overseas. And uh, when you're overseas, you can, be ex- you can expect to be admonished. It's just going to happen. Um, you will be uh, headed out somewhere at night, and a neighbor will say, ask you where you're going, and you tell them where you're going, and they say, no, you shouldn't go to that part of town. Because if you go to that part of town, it's dangerous. That's admonishment. They're giving you admonishment. Uh, you go swimming, and they're going to the beach, and there's these beautiful waves at the beach, and you're going to do some body surfing. And you start stepping into the water, and the locals say, No, 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 no. Don't go, don't go. They're admonishing you because they know that there's a horrible riptide. You can't see it, but they've already lost loved ones in that riptide. And they're stopping you because they want you to know that you're going in the wrong direction. You know, being here in Wyoming, a lot of us heat our homes with wood stoves. And if we have little children, what do we say to the children? Don't touch the stove. No, no, honey. And, and we're going to be grandparents pretty soon. And um, <clears throat> when our grandchildren come to visit us, and I hope they do when it's in the fall or the winter. We're going to have a fireplace. We have a, a wood stove. And that's one of the first things I'm going to do is I'm going to say, Son, uh, honey, don't touch the wood stove because you're going to get burned. Why am I doing that? I'm doing that because I love them and I don't want them to be hurt. Now, they may stomp their feet and have a temper tantrum and say, I just hate you and I'm okay with that. I really don't care if you hate me at this point. I just don't want you to get burned. And so uh, Paul comes to them and he's admonishing them. As, as, as parents, we know what that's about. Paul's admonishing the church of Corinth and he's saying that the path you're going down is going to bring destruction to the church. It's going to bring division. It's going to bring disunity. And more than that, it's going to harm the message of the cross of Jesus Christ. Why is Paul doing that? Because he's invested his life in them. He's the one that 
planted this church. He's not like a lot of our modern-day church planters that go into a city and they say, oh, I see a city that needs a church, and they uh, rent a place, a facility, and they start a church, and after the church gets to, you know, 50, 60 people, they're going, okay, I did my job, I'll see you, I'm going to the next town. And that's not the way Paul did ministry. Paul continued to stay in touch with the people where he was and continued to check in and find out what was going on. And that was his style. And and so he knew what was happening in the church of Corinth. And so when we look at verse 15 of chapter 4, it says, For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. What does Paul mean by you have countless guides? What is he talking about? You have countless guides. Well, as I was looking up uh, and preparing for this, I, I asked that question, what does this mean, guides? And come to find out that guides were like tutors or managers or personal attendants that were assigned to children uh, in homes during Paul's day, in particular in, in the Roman population. So a son was born or a daughter would be born, and then a slave or a servant or a hired hand would become responsible for that child. And they would make sure that the child got off and went to school and got to school on time. They would make sure that the child got home. Uh, They would help them in memorization and reciting all of the lessons that they were supposed to do. And they would just kind of guide them through life. Now remember, this guide is someone who is either a servant, a slave, or being paid to do that. And Paul is saying, you have countless guides in your church, people who are giving you direction. But I'm different, and you need to know when I get ready to say and the things that I've said and the things that I'm going to say, the reason I'm saying them is because I'm not just a guide. I'm, I'm, it says, you have countless guides, but I became your father in Christ Jesus. So he's not just a mere tutor. He's not just a personal manager. He has invested his life into him. In fact, Paul, that, that whole thing, I, I have become your father, is kind of like, I'm the one that begot you. Now, we know that, that when you become a Christian, the person that, that shows you the way is not the one that, that brings you salvation or, or, or gives you salvation. They're the ones that take you to the place where you understand who Jesus Christ is and you understand that you're a sinner And you understand that Christ died on the cross for your sins and that you need to be saved. And that person is is like the father or the mother who brought you to the place and begot you. And that's what Paul's saying there. I don't know how many of you have had the experience of taking time and spending time with family and friends and, and, and being able to walk them through the process to where they finally come to an understanding of who Christ is. And make that glorious decision to follow Jesus Christ as their Savior. When you've done that, and if you've done that, your relationship with that person is totally changed. There is a deep, intimate relationship that happens that's unexplainable. It's unexplainable. And you know what you do? You track that person for the rest of your life. There are people that I'm tracking, and I look at Facebook, and I see things that are going on, And my heart hurts when I see decisions that they've made. 
that aren't really good decisions. And then I'm overjoyed when I find decisions that they've made that they're showing that they're growing and, 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 um, and maturing in Christ. And so there's that special love. And Paul's saying, I'm the one that brought you to Christ. I'm the one that came to Corinth. I showed you who Jesus was. You chose to believe him. And so there's this special intimate connection and relationship. And so my love for you is totally different from those guys who talk in what he called worldly wisdom. Remember chapters 1, 2, and 3, it talked about worldly wisdom and empty talk. And it even talked about how many people think that the gospel of Jesus Christ is foolish. And Paul's saying, no, no, no. I'm the one that led you to Christ. And I want you to know that I love you so much that, that I'm willing to step up and say, stop it. You have got to stop what you're doing. You've got to begin to look to the cross and begin to see uh, the reason why you came to Jesus, Jesus Christ. Paul in verse uh, 16 says, I urge you then, be imitators of me. So his love for them is, is so great that he just doesn't say, knock it off, good luck. Or like uh, that, uh, I can't remember who it was, but uh, they were in a counseling office and, and uh, it was Dick Van Dyke, I can't remember who it is, and he just said, I can cure it in three, three words, just stop it. And that was it. And many of us have had that. People say to us, just stop it. And many of us have tried to just stop it, and it doesn't work. And Paul knows that's not the case, that it doesn't work if you just say, knock it off, stop it. But you need someone to emulate or to imitate. And so Paul steps up and he says, I urge you then to be imitators of me. What does he mean by imitating? Well, the word imitate means to mimic. Uh, the copy machines that we have, the Xerox machines that we have, is based on a mimeograph machine, which basically mimics or transposes the image onto another piece of paper. It's, a, it's an exact copy or duplicate of it. And so that's one understanding of the word uh, to mimic or to imitate. Now, I remember as a young father, I would be out uh, mowing the lawn or working in the garden, picking weeds, and my little son, my, our first son, David, three years old, he'd be right there with his little toy lawnmower, and he'd be watching me mow, and he's kind of mowing along behind me, you know. Or I'm in the garden, and I'm picking weeds, and he's watching, and he gets down on his knees, and he's pulling weeds up just like Dad. Um, I'd have a project with the car, and the hood would be up in the car, and I'd have a bunch of tools, and I had bought him some plastic tools, and so... I'm in there fixing the engine or working on the engine, and guess where my son is? He's got his tools all laid out, and he's looking at me and trying to figure out, can he get his tools up in there and do exactly like me? He's imitating. My youngest son, Samuel, I remember this as if it was yesterday. Um, <clears throat> we had a, a, a car, and I was out there um, washing the car, and Sam was out there beside me, and he was watching me wash it, and then I got down. And I had this bucket beside me, and I filled it full of water. And I took a brush, and I started scrubbing the tire. And I was scrubbing it really good. And I went to grab the hose, and the bucket wasn't there, but there was a rag in it. And Sam was at the back tire, and he was watching me with, with the rag 
scrubbing that back tire, just like Dad was doing. He was imitating me. There's something built into all of us as human beings that we are to imitate. Now, there's a choice that we have. Either we imitate the ways of the world, and that's what the Corinthians were starting to do, imitate the ways of the world, or we can choose to imitate Christ and who Christ is, or imitate someone who is a true follower of Christ. And so what Paul's saying is, imitate me. Do what I do as I follow Christ. And so he, he reminds him of that, but uh, he, he says, do that. Now the question I have today is, are, are we willing to go to somebody and say, hey, imitate me in my relationship with Jesus Christ? Because that's what Paul said to the church in Corinth. Are we willing to do that? Are we in a place in our lives where we're saying, yeah, I'll, I'll be glad to go to a young person or I'll be glad to go to a, a new follower of Jesus Christ and say, hey, come along, follow me as I follow Christ. And Maybe the answer is no, I can't do that. Maybe there's some secret sin and about two weeks ago or three weeks ago, Pastor Ken talked about how secret sin will keep us bound up and will not allow us to be free to do the things that we're supposed to do. And one of the things that we are called to do is to be imitators of Jesus Christ. And see, if you ask someone to imitate you, then that means that you have to have a deep relationship with them. And you have to foster that relationship. And you have to be transparent. And the question I have this morning is, are we that way here at Wind River Community Church? Am I that way? I ask that question of myself all the time. Am I willing to be transparent as I stand before you and the struggles that I have so that you can see me fall and you can see me stand and you can see me run and make the right decisions and sometimes make the wrong decisions but be able to come back and correct those wrong decisions? We need to be a place in a place in our lives where we're willing to say, hey, come, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Because that's what Paul did. And Paul realized... Uh, that he had just asked him to do something big. He had asked him to imitate him, and he also realized that he was quite a distance away from them. I think he was probably in Ephesus at this time when, when he wrote this letter. And so in, in, in verse 17 he says, Imitate me. That's why I send you, Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in Christ, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere and in every church. And so he knows how important it is not to just uh, listen to a speaker on, a, on the radio or on the television or on the Internet and, and then because they're not right here with him. He's giving them instruction, but he's also sending them someone who he trusts. And he calls him, he's, he said, he's my child, my beloved, faithful child. See, in Acts chapter, uh, I think it was chapter 16, yeah, in Acts chapter 16 is where Paul, on his second missionary journey, met Timothy. And he took Timothy under his wings. And he taught Timothy everything. And their relationship was so close, and their bond was so close, that he actually had Timothy circumcised. And Timothy faithfully followed that so that he would not be offense to the Jews. And so Timothy's relationship and trust of Paul and his desire to live his life out as Paul lived his life out in relationship to Christ was, was a true uh, representation 
of how Paul was living his life in Christ. And so Paul says, I know you're away. I'm going to send you Timothy. And you do what Timothy says. And Timothy's going to remind you <coughs> of the way I lived my life before you and the way I continue to live my life now. And so uh, Timothy came, and, and he's the one that brought the letter to the church in Corinth. And, and he's a young man. <coughs> and he's there, and he's been instructed to live his life out before them and to remind them of what, what uh, Jesus Christ, what, what Paul did in bringing them to Christ and how Paul lived his life out before them. Do we have Timothys in our lives? Is, do, you, do you know of a Timothy that you look up to and say, yeah, that's Timothy, and he's doing like Paul, and Paul lived his life like Jesus. Do we have Timothys among us here today? who are willing to be Timothys, who are willing to say, yeah, I'll step up. I'll, uh, I'll help out with small groups. Uh, yep, I'll step up. I'll help out with cleaning around. Yep, I'll step up. I'll help out with that situation. Yeah, I'd, you know what? I'll be glad to take a young man or a young woman and hang out with them for a day. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm willing. I'm willing to be a Timothy. We all need to be Timothys. We all need to have a Timothy in our lives as well. And so the challenge for us today is, who, who is it that we look to as, as examples of Jesus Christ? Now, Paul knew that when he sent Timothy, this young man, that there were some older people and some well-known guides in the church there. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 18 through 20, he says, Some are arrogant as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you soon if the Lord wills, and I'll find out the talk of these arrogant people but their about their power, for the kingdom of God does not consist of talk but of power. And so you can see Paul as he's writing this, and he's, he knows he's going to give the letter to Timothy, and he knows Timothy's a young man, and he's probably thinking, I know this Corinthian church, they're going to go, oh yeah, Paul, you're a chicken. You are, you are such a chicken, you couldn't even come and tell us this yourselves. You had to write a letter and send some little snotty-nosed kid. To, that we're supposed to emulate the snotty-nosed kid? Are you kidding me? And Paul says, I just want you to know, I'm coming. The Lord willing, I'm coming. And when I come, there's a bunch of you guys that are talking the talk and not walking the walk. And we're going to have a sit-down chat. And you continue the way you're going. We're going to have a real long chat, and I'm going to take you to the woodshed, and we're going to find out what this is about. And we're going to prove that your talk has no power. The only power is in the kingdom of God. And so he's just kind of protecting Timothy and setting things up so that, so that they understand that he's really serious about this. <clears throat> and in the end, verse chapter 21, which I think is a really, really important verse, in the transition between uh, chapter 4 and chapter 5, he says this. And this is a real question Paul asks. Do you wish, what do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love and a spirit of gentleness? Should I come to you with a rod? What does that mean? Really? What does coming to a person with a rod mean? Got any idea? Yeah. What Paul's doing is he's saying, look, fair warning, I'm coming. And when I come, 
you're going to have read this whole letter, and you're going to have an opportunity to get things right between you and God and to start living like you should as a fellowship and a body of Christ. But if you don't, there's going to be discipline that's going to happen, and I'm going to instill church discipline, and I'm going to come and talk to you. And if there's no change, I'm going to bring somebody else, and the two of us are going to sit down and talk to you. And if there's no change, then we're going to get together with the elders and we're going to discuss all this with you, with us. Because we love you so much that we're going to do what it takes so that you clearly understand. And if you still choose to be hard-hearted, we're going to give you the right foot of the fellowship and kick you out of the church. That's basically what he's talking about. Now, I know today we're going, holy smokes, are you kidding you would actually come to a person and you would confront them and admonish them about something that's going on in their lives? Well, I hope so. Because if we truly love one another, we will come to our brother or we will come to our sister when we see them going in the wrong way and saying, you know what, I love you. And if you continue to go down this path, this is what's going to happen. Because Scripture tells us very clearly what's going to happen. I hope that we love one another so much in this fellowship, and we love people outside of this fellowship so much that we can come to them in grace and in truth, one-on-one initially, and admonish them and pray for them and see their lives change for the glory of God. And Paul's saying, I'm coming, and I'm giving you a chance. And you know what I know? I know that in Paul's heart of hearts, What he wants to do is come in a spirit of gentleness and love. And that's why he's writing this letter. Because he's coming to them as a father and saying, all right, tough love. Guess what, guys? I'm going to tell you what's going on. So next week, when Ken comes and he presents his message, some of you might think that he's reading your email. But I guarantee you he isn't. What he's doing is he's reading the Scripture. And from the Scripture... He's presenting what God says to us. I have just a few questions in conclusion. The first question is, are you an imitator of Christ? Nobody else needs to answer this. You answer it for yourselves. The second question is, who in this fellowship would you be able to imitate in their walk with Christ? Is there someone that you know in in your life You'd be able to imitate their life and say, you know what, that person is a follower of Christ. May not be perfect, but they know more than I do, and I want to begin to imitate their lives and the way they live. The third question is, are you willing to ask someone to imitate you as you imitate Christ? That's a big question. Linda, come follow me and see how I live. And may that point you to Jesus Christ. Are you willing to say to somebody, come, imitate me as I imitate Christ? The fourth question is, are you willing to admonish a fellow brother or sister in Christ? It's a hard one. But we need to come to a place where we can come in love and grace and truth and admonish our brothers and sisters where we see them going in the wrong direction. The last question is, If you're not willing to admonish another follower of Christ in grace and truth, why? Why are you not willing to do that? I can't answer those questions for you. Only you can. Paul loved the church in Corinth. 
He loved them so much that he didn't care if they liked him. He didn't care if they got angry and hated him. What he cared about is that their relationship with Jesus Christ was right and true and where it needed to be. Let's pray.